session three is the session I'll be teaching, which is the early years of Jesus. Now, I find it really, um, my favorite way of studying scripture is to talk about this is what we're reading and then to break it down. So Daniel Wheeler here is going to be our main Bible reader today. Um, so the intro to the early years is that Jesus was deliberate with his time here. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't like kind of just a time he had to get through so that he could just grow up and be God at that point. Um, the accounts of young Jesus that we see, they're full of purpose. They're full of impact. Um, and we see that even in his young age, we can see his deity, we can see his wisdom, we can see his character, um, and we also see that there was places where he was still developing. Scripture highlights the fact that he was growing, so Jesus didn't come fully formed. He had to mature like any other person. Um, so after Jesus' birth is where we're going to start. That's what we covered last week, and we're going to start right the next line that we can look at, which is about him being circumcised at eight days old. So we can see him, um, and what we're going to cover in this session, him growing up under the care of Mary and Joseph. We can see the human element of um, traditions that he was raised around, um, different experiences that he had because he was living in a world with traditions and practices, and also how he lived under his parents. Um, we see that there was an opportunity to fulfill prophetic words um, through his relatableness, that there were, there were ways that people could see God in him, but at the same time, he was a surprise to them because he wasn't what some people thought God coming to earth would look like. So we're going to start with the revelation of Christ. And Daniel, I'm going to ask you to read two portions of scripture. You're going to have to read it on the mic so that it will make the recording. Um, so if you'll read Luke 2, verses 21 to 38. All right, Luke 2, 21 through 38. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him and brought in the child, Jesus to carry out for, for him, the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mar to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to, the, to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the, end of that, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and lived with her husband seven years after, sorry, and she, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God, 
continued to speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Thanks, Daniel. Okay, so what is so interesting in this passage is that we're introduced to Simeon and Anna, and we see that they recognized Jesus as Jesus. Now, this was a little baby. It's not like he looked different. It's not like he was noticeably different than other babies, but the Spirit had already talked to them and said that this is going to happen, especially with Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we, a lot of us know the scripture about Christ is given. And so we see here a reception, a recognition that we are receiving the Christ, we are receiving who has been given to us. So the response of the two people who are offering in, uh, operating in the prophetic here was that they were seeing that gift. They were seeing what they were being given and recognizing it in the spirit and proclaiming it so that from a young age, Jesus was being recognized as the Christ. Now, remember back in Isaiah, um, when it speaks about being Christ, being born to us, it was the idea that even though he was going to be born in obscurity, he still is someone who's going to be given to us, that we're going to be able to see his life um, come into that revelation of who he is. So for Israel, it had to be, um, it was to be a glorious revelation of the full manifestation of the word that, that they were given. And we see that these two people played that key role even in their birth, uh, even in his early age of this, this time of circumcision and purification, that he was recognized as who he was and who God had called him to be, that that anointing was on him invisible to people who followed after the Holy Spirit from such a young time. Um, we also see in Anna that she, she just has that token of affirmation. And I can imagine what that would have been like for Mary and Joseph to hear that, hey, this is the Christ that's coming, but then to have people readily recognize that in something that they did every day. They, they always went through these purification ceremonies. They always went through circumcision. But for them to recognize this baby is different, that this is the Messiah who is coming. Um, Anna speaks to a changing of the guard in the way that everyone is going to be welcomed into the family of Christ in the days to come. So now we're going to go ahead and move over to the Magi. So I have more for you to read. So now we're going to read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 15. Matthew 2, 1 through 15. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Okay, so I'm going to do a little pop quiz here. If you're not familiar with the term Magi, do you know what the other name is that we call them? 
and you can just say it. Yep, the, the wise men. And do you know how many of them that there were? So a lot of people think three, and that is kind of how it's covered in Western tradition, and it's because there were three gifts. So we have We Three Kings, we have a whole bunch of songs that cover that, but actually we don't know how many that there were. The Bible never directly responds to it, and Eastern cult, uh, Eastern tradition really says that there would be more likely that there were 12 of them. Um, now these were people who, again, we call them wise men for a reason. They were um, They were kind of like very, very wise people who studied the stars, studied different things, um, and really learned from it. They were very um, wealthy in the sense of understanding and knowledge. And what is so interesting to me is when they see the star, they rejoiced. That these are people who are very studious, very educated, very wise, and yet they had the faith to say, I can see what's happening here, and we are going to celebrate that. So we see that the Magi respond to the revelation of Christ with, with joy, that they offered him great gifts, that if you study that out, and I encourage you, I know that Tondra has told you before, that there's little bits um, here that he'll he'll encourage you to study study the gifts. We don't have time to get into it here, but they were very significant. Um, it not only speaks of the revelation further that the Lord gave them. Um, for example, frankincense speaks to healing. It was prophetic in the way that Jesus would die um, and who he would be. But um, the gifts are very significant and speak to the revelation that the Lord had given them, that they were searching for something that they understood was happening, that they understood the sky was even acknowledging that Jesus was coming. Um, and when they found him, they were so um, overjoyed. We see that it took faith to follow a star. I mean, if, if I met someone today that said, oh, I'm following that star because I can see something's happening, you'd be like, man, that person's crazy, you know? But these are people who were very respected of their time, and yet they saw that this is happening, and we are going to find, um, find in worship. They, I mean, they had an expectation of what was going to happen. Now, in the, the, in the nativity story um, at Christmas, you usually see the shepherds on one side, and you see the wise men on one side, but he was probably much older at this point. Um, some people think he was more like two years old when this happened, um, or 18 months, that this was not immediately after he was born. So they would have more likely found him in his house with Mary and Joseph. Um, and again, a lot of that comes from just studying the, um, the records that come about it, but it wasn't where he was still in the manger when they showed up. Um, now we're going to talk about Herod's response in the same text that Daniel just read. So Herod is somebody that we talked about last week. He was a political um, leader. He had a Jewish background, but he wasn't fully um, Jew. And we see in contrast to the Magi that he looked everything through a political lens, that he heard there was a king coming. And instead of celebrating the fact that, man, the, there's a Messiah who's coming, that God is sending a king to us the way that the Magi did, where they, they weren't threatened, but they were rejoicing and just wanting to be a part of it. We see that Herod was threatened, that we see that he... Um, was so deeply concerned over um, kind of that threat to his power that he wanted to figure out exactly what was going on and what he needed to do. We see that he ended up killing, um, it's called the Massacre of the Innocents, he ended up killing all the children that were under two years old because he just wanted to do everything he could to wipe out that threat to his power because he heard king and heard Threat. So we see a, a big contrast between the Magi and Herod's response. Now we have a couple more verses that we're going to have you read, which is right where you were, verses 13 to 15. Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. 
for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay, so we're going to talk about what is the significance of Egypt and Nazareth, especially with Jesus being the Messiah, because again, that's what Tondra I talked about last week was prophecy, and there were things that needed to be fulfilled. There were words that if they didn't happen, it would mean that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Now, it's not always like, okay, I know that this needs to happen, so I'm going to take this number of steps to make sure that happens to fulfill it. It's just sometimes that there's a foreknowledge. We do see that Jesus sometimes did things later in, later in his life where he would read scripture in the temple and and say this has now fulfilled this prophecy but we see here that the unique um, events that surrounded this created a fulfillment of scripture a fulfillment of prophecy that could not have easily been orchestrated so jesus um had been prophesied about with um in the scripture it says out of egypt i call my son and so we see that jesus having to flee to Egypt was significant because that had to be a part of his story for him to fulfill what had been said about the Messiah. Um, whenever we see in scripture that people try to make things happen, um, we see the story of Abraham and Sarah with, um, with Ishmael, it's messy. It doesn't work out well. And so we see that it was God that was guiding this. It was God that spoke to Joseph. It was God that said, hey, you need to go here. Um, and even bringing them back to Nazareth at a later time, also fulfilled prophecy again that Tondra I spoke to you last week that he would be known as a Nazarene. Okay, in your workbooks, we're going to go ahead and go to the next page and talk about tradition for a minute. Now, a lot of times we look at people who are traditional and feel like they're kind of living in a state of deadness, that there's nothing life giving about tradition. Um, we kind of think of it in terms of being religious, but we see it's important to realize that Jesus didn't throw away the tradition of the Jews, because he identified with his people, and he wanted to be understandable to them. And often these traditions were set up by God, and um, the way that God had set up for that time. So Jesus honored it, he practiced it, and he um, did everything he could to essentially be above board. So we're going to talk about um, what Daniel already read about being circumcised, and we want to talk about why was Jesus circumcised? Why do we think that this is in Scripture? nothing's in scripture by accident. Um, well, it's it's proof that God wasn't doing away with the old customs, that God was building on it, and, um, and again, that Jesus wasn't coming to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, it's also key to note that his parents were not just parenting out of their own understanding, but trying to follow what God had already set in place, and that was a rule, a law that had already been set about circumcision. Um, it also spoke to um, circumcision was not just a physical act, but it was a spiritual act that you can we can study out in the Old Testament, and Jesus essentially um, didn't come in to not follow what had been set, but to, to follow it and to fulfill it. And then we talk about the significance of the purification offering. Now, this is built in Leviticus um, 12, where it talks extensively about cleanliness, um, purification, what needs to happen. Now, something that's a fascinating that we're going to draw out of here is that we see that um, they paid with two, two doves. That was like the, the sacrifice that they gave us two doves. That's referred to as the poor man's offering. It meant that they were not wealthy. And this also just backs up the fact that the Magi had not come yet because the Magi came with gold. Many scholars believe that the gold helped them um, helped them live, basically live off of that as they went on. And if they had had gold, they would not have given um, two doves. 
So we see that Joseph and Mary were following the way of the Lord. Um, if you study out the text, even when it says that they needed to be clean, it was not really just talking just to Mary, but there was an uncleanliness that was put on Jesus, that they believed that a baby was also unclean after having been born. Um, in we see in scripture that Jesus became sin for us. So he was thought to have been born into a sin nature and from the beginning did the things that were required of him to live um, in a way where he was going to be able to eventually break down the need for those things. But from, from the beginning, he worked within the, the setting that God had given. Now, does anybody know what the Feast of Passover is that is talked about here in Scripture? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have you read another portion of Scripture. It's Luke 2, 39 to 52. And we're coming into the time of Passover here in this scripture, which is a commemoration of liberation from slavery in Egypt and was something that the Jews celebrated annually. Luke 2, 39 through 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued to subjection to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor favor with God and men. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a moment here to look at this festival. First of all, we see throughout Scripture that Jesus continued to celebrate this. Um, the book of Mark tells us that Jesus sang hymns. Um, there were different practices we see that Jesus honored throughout time. So Jesus would have celebrated this festival every year, not in just the times that are recorded, but um, it would have been a big part of his year because it was a big part of the year um, of the Jews, just what they commonly did. Um, we see that Jesus didn't like that people that people had turned the temple into a money market. Um, so we see that while he appreciates the Passover, he didn't appreciate some of what it had become, um, some of how it was celebrated, some of how it had become um, kind of, com- you know how we talk about Christmas being commercial, Passover kind of was commercialized, and it was offensive to him because it was away from the heart of why that celebration happened. So before we get into Jesus' reactions at the temple, we're going to talk about Joseph and Mary as parents for a minute. So what relationship did Joseph and Mary have prior to Jesus' birth? Well, they both were people of good repute. They had good reputations. We can see that Joseph was known as an honorable man. We can see that Mary was well thought of. And we know this because we not only see that the Lord chose them to parent Jesus and believed that they had the capacity and the understanding by which to parent Jesus, but we also see that um, Joseph's purity of heart is evidenced by um, the fact that he didn't want to embarrass Mary. 
I mean, he had every right to have her called out for what would have been assumed to have happened. But we see that he wanted to divorce her quietly, he, which spoke to not only his desire to honor her, but also his desire to be with an honorable woman. And we see that Jesus in choosing, or God in choosing Mary, um, also talks about how she's blessed among women, that she stands apart, that she is a woman of honor. So how did the supernatural visitations to Joseph and Mary change their relationship? Well, it allowed them to alter course. Have you ever had a time in your life where um, you think you're going one way and then you have a revelation of the Lord and you realize you're actually supposed to be walking another way? It changed the scope of where they were going. It changed the scope of the relationship because it allowed them to walk in a new calling together. So it didn't um, it didn't change what the Lord already knew was going to happen, but it changed what they understood was ahead of them. So it cemented the relationship, um, allowed them to be working for the Lord on this kingdom assignment that he had for them, um, and to bring them together in this mutual calling even further than they had already um, imagined before. And then we also see Mary and Joseph in scripture that they stuck to tradition. We see that um, that the relationship to God doesn't take away from the cultural practices or the traditional practices that they they walked after. We see that they were thoughtful in wanting to fulfill the things that um, were asked of them. And I think this is really big that we can glean something from because I think a lot of times when we look at traditions or rituals, we can we can feel like they're very dead. But we can see in the middle of this this thriving relationship with God that Mary and Joseph still valued the 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 richness that can come from following traditions or following um, honoring days in a certain way. So did the revelation of Jesus as Messiah change the way that Joseph and um, Mary parented? Well, we see that they hid things in their hearts. Um, at some point, it's assumed that Joseph died because there's no longer an account of him after a time. We can see that even on the cross that Jesus told John to take care of Mary, and he had siblings, but he said, this is your mother and this is your son, and asked him to do that, which speaks to the fact that Joseph was probably not around. In, in addition to just not having any record of him, he probably had passed away is what is believed. Um, but we believe that while Joseph was there, um, during this time that he was there, that he was a good influence on Jesus, that he was someone who was thoughtful. Um, again, we can see that in the accounts we do have of Joseph. And then with Mary, we do know, do know that she hid things in her heart because scripture expressly says that. We even can see by the wedding at Cana that Mary had the confidence in Jesus' calling to say, why don't you do something about this? Because she knew that he could. So we believe that their parenting was impacted by the belief and the understanding of this, this child is different. Um, this child is the son of God. So now we're going to get into Jesus's reactions in the temple. So why was Jesus at the temple? Um, well, even as a boy, Jesus would have practiced the tradition set before him. And it's important to note that he, as we find him at 12, he didn't have the maturity of a 30-year-old, that Jesus was still a human even as he was God. He still had to develop. Um, some scholars describe it as uh, basically if you met five-year-old Jesus, five-year-old Jesus wouldn't have acted like a 30-year-old Jesus, but he was about the most developed five-year-old you could meet. So he would um, be in the fullness of what he could be at that age. So at a 12-year-old at a Jesus, we can see that he knew his identity at 12. And how many of you have met 12-year-olds before that are really figuring out who they are? And so Jesus knew who he was. He knew that this is who, who he was meant to be. And Perhaps this came from his parents speaking into him. We don't know how much they would have talked about it. That's not recorded. But we know that Jesus at least had a relationship with his father because he talks about him that way, um, that he understood 
even as the word was in him, that he still had to grow and still had that relationship of seeking to grow. We also know that um, Jesus likely would have had a lot of, um, I'm going to not say this word right, rabionic training, I think is the right way to say it, that he was seen as being gifted in this area. He would have learned about the Torah, studied the Torah as other kids in his time, but as he was looked at as an exceptional, um, having exceptional understanding, this would have been the, some of the path that was um, that was mapped out for him, which is why it isn't weird when we get later in scripture when he reads, um, he reads in the, the temple's not the right word, when he reads the scrolls. Um, was his understanding of the scriptures supernatural or natural? Does anybody know this answer? Yes. Well, I, I believe that um, since he was fully man, the son of man, and also fully the son of God, born of incorruptible seed on the inside, I really believe he found himself in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That kind of God that yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, it, so the way that we look at it, his understanding was both natural and supernatural. That um, it's important to note that he was created supernaturally, that he was the word become flesh. So there was so much that was in him. But Jesus isn't like someone that's like a basketball player that's born and is super gifted and never practices. He was still someone who attended himself to the word and, and, um, tended that growth process because again he was he was human even as he was um he was god i imagine they corrected him times they shouldn't have because they were <laughs> i've thought a lot oh come on i wouldn't want to <laughs> mm-hmm yeah Mm -hmm. Which, to me, that's him saying, this is, I've grown up, and growing up, we've got to see different. Yeah, that's good. He still chose to obey his parents. Yeah. Okay, so then we're going to talk a minute about the religious leaders. So it's so interesting that we read this, we hear that they're amazed, and we're like, okay, so, you know, he just said something that was wise, and they think about it. But I love something that I read um in a, in a commentary this week, and it was talking about the significance of the religious leaders gathering together at Passover time. Um, and it essentially would have been like having like your brilliant scientists or like people like Aristotle, um, these famous thinkers of the time gathering together. So the religious leaders who were here are people who had gathered during Passover. So it wasn't just like some random teachers of, of the Torah. These were like the people that really understood it, and they were amazed by Jesus' grasp of the scripture, that it would have been like having a 12-year-old come into like an astrophysicist circle of like the most brilliant minds of our time, and them being amazed by the 12-year-old. Um, his grasp of the, of the word is something that they wouldn't have experienced, that there was something that was clearly different about him. Um, the level that 12-year-old Jesus could converse about scripture astounded them, which spoke to not just his supernatural comprehension, but also his natural comprehension. And then lastly, what did Jesus mean when he said he had to be in his father's house? Um, what's fascinating about this is we see that Jesus kind of reacted with surprise that he says like, you know, why are you looking for me? And as a parent, I can imagine like, why, why am I looking for you? Because you're my kid, that you just went away. 
But his surprise speaks to the fact that they had talked about who he was, that they knew he was the Messiah. He knew that he was the Messiah, and he had that conversation with Joseph and Mary. Again, this is something that we have to glean from, that it's not explicit, but in that reaction that we can see that it just speaks to speaks to what his life was like. Um, this commentary by Guzik says, these are the first recorded words of Jesus and they're significant. The surprise implied that Jesus knew that Mary and Joseph did know of his special relationship with God the Father, and it means it would have been an item of discussion and perhaps even instruction. And um, even though they heard about his identity, they didn't understand it, that it's something that surprised them. At that time, 12-year-olds would just start having apprenticed at that point of, of whatever that they were um, that they were gifted in. That was kind of the path that they would have chosen. But the fact that he is a 12-year-old is saying, I must be about my father's business, not only speaks to the way that he's choosing, but also speaks to his kind of command in it, even at such a young age. So now we're going to turn over to our next session which is Pastor Tondra, and I think this is a great section. I'm excited about it. So I am a huge fan of the disciples. I don't know anyone else here and how they feel about the disciples. I'm a huge fan. I love them because they allow me to be a human being. They allow me to 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 not harshly judge myself because, again, these are people that are walking with Jesus physically and sometimes it feels to us that it'll be easy if jesus was right here you know it'd be so simple if he was right here we could talk to him we could commune with him and everything would be easy but they did and it doesn't look like it was so it's not like we're gypped in the sense that we have to live by faith and jesus is not physically in the body here and so we lose out on something um in the same way that we sometimes are like what not understanding fully what's going on you know, believing if God really loves me, there will be breakthrough here. If God really loves me, this would happen. If God really loves me, I would see the supernatural. But these are people who saw a lot of the supernatural happening and still asked, who is this? And yet in one sentence, they're like, you are this Messiah. You are the son to come. But then they have that walk where they go in faith and go in doubt, faith and doubt, faith and faithlessness, that go through that. And and I think we do too, where we're confident in faith and then out of instances, we're not so much. And God, um, Jesus and, and his relationship with them kind of gives us a, a, a pathway to follow um, when we're trying to figure out our own lives. So Jesus understood that the work before him also was not going to be possible if he did it alone. Could he have done it alone? Yes, but that would have taken away from him being full man. Because he, if he had done it alone, that means that he's just doing it as full God. But he has to do it as man. Why? Because again, he has to respect the law that God already set in motion in Genesis that the dominion of the earth and its authority was given to men. It was not of God's. So then he has to come and take over, take back that authority, but he has to do it as a man in order for it to be legal. Okay? So if so, you, you can snap his finger and everything changes, but if he did that, that just violates his, his nature. So that means that he has to come as a man. So in that instance, he's building a team, just like we would need to build a team in order to begin a ministry or a work or a call. You got to have a team uh, that is uh, that is around you, and you can see the diverse team that he builds. And so that's why I love just studying the disciples because you get to see a whole lot of his interaction with natural people um, here on earth, and we can glean from that. So the first one is the fishermen. Love it. So 
think about this. You're about to start something grandiose. You're about to go on a on a on a on a track to build this massive vision that you have. It might be easy to think that I'm going to go to the big CEOs and somebody who's probably middle level and I'm going to pull from there to in order to build my team. But he doesn't do that. He goes and he chooses those people that are in a lowly vocation to be a part of his of his team. Because the goal here is is to confound the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man to say <laughs> whatever you think you have it's actually very small. It's it's not as big as my word. It's not as big as who I am. So I'm going to go to the people that you deem as as smelly, that you deem as not so awesome, that you deem as 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 as, as um, the low in society, and those are the people that I'm going to pick from. But then in the same vein too, they have attributes that are not easily seen. These are businessmen. Think about it. They're businessmen. They they get fish and they sell fish for profit. So they understand the concept of growing business, of growing income. So that's that's who he goes to. So he's very strategic in who he picks. And, and again, spiritually to confound the wisdom of men, but naturally he sees a, a, a talent or he sees something that they have um, that he, he, yeah, he also wants to um, take uh, take advantage of. So they would have understood then the concept from going to fishing for fish to fishing for men and growing a, a ministry as much as they're growing uh, uh, their their businesses. So why why include Judas? I mean, I love it. Now listen, in in any organization that you have, you're going to have a Judas. You're going to have a Judas, right? And so I think the picking of Judas is, is, is very is very strategic for us because he knows that Judas in his betrayal is playing a very important role. You understand if Judas doesn't betray, Jesus is not crucified. Yeah. So Judas actually plays a very important role in, in connecting the untouchable with the, uh, with the Romans and the Jews. And so... Your Judas in your organization, your Judas in your family poses an opportunity for learning, poses an opportunity for connecting with, with how men and how people in society interact. The people that, that gnaw at you, right? The people that make you feel, Ugh, those people, your Judases, they have a lesson in them. Now, if you, if you put them aside and you feel, because this, this is sometimes the easy way that the mind thinks, right? If we got rid of all the bad people, life would be grand. No, you then become the bad person. See? So, 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 so Judas is important for us to understand human nature, for us to understand our possibilities. So this is one thing. Yes. 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 That is very good. That is very good. Again, yes. So again, in choosing, there was no way that he was going to choose 12 perfect people because they're imperfect everywhere. Okay. So I think that that's why I think Judas is, 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 is important there. So then the importance of, of calling Matthew also. So in the same vein, you've got this text collector guy and everybody thinks text collectors. I don't like these text collectors. Um, because essentially they were working against the Jewish people because they would collect taxes. Yes. Huh? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, good point. Good point. And that's what I want you to, what you're doing right now is actually what I want you to do in your journals, which I don't have. I don't know what happened there. But answer those questions. I'm just giving you information, but I want you to go deeper and get why and get your whys going because I think there's so much that you can glean from from here. Okay, so um, so yeah, we're talking about Matthew. So so you've got this hatred from the community that you know text collectors ah, and then Jesus says yeah yeah I need a text collector as part of my team, but it also y- you've got to understand this in that in that conversation of text collectors amongst text collectors that the Jesus would not have been popular. Okay, so so Matthew's response is very key in the turning of a mind. And, and the interaction that he has with grace to then connect with grace and actually have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to lay down and I'm going to I'm going to follow this this man. So that gives the opportunity and the open door for other text collectors to think, okay, why would Matthew go with this guy? Why would Matthew go with this guy? So then it gives an opportunity to open up a door to reach a certain demographic of people that were not going to be easily reached if you didn't have the text collector. So. Even in building your teams, in, in, in building your, your, your ministry, your business, whatever it is that you're doing, um, you've got to understand that if you reach, want to reach a certain demographic, you might want to connect and at least have somebody that that demographic can easily identify with. Does that make sense? So um, 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 I, I, I know for, uh, I'm going to talk about soccer yeah, in church. Anyway, so, so, so my team, my team, Liverpool, right, they have they got this player who's from Japan. He is cool. He's he's not like the best player in the world, but he's from Japan. Why would they do that? Well, it opens up the market in Japan for the Japanese to start buying Liverpool shirts, Liverpool mugs, Liverpool all this and it increases their their revenue. So they're being strategic and trying to open a market by just including a player that everybody is 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 aware of. I started supporting Liverpool because of they had a Zimbabwean player that was playing for them and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's my team and it's been my team since." And they've made money off of me. <laughs> you know, because of that. So be strategic again when you are building your teams if you want to reach certain demographics just to include that so that it opens the door. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Was well, key to that. Exactly. So it's in, it, yeah, it's ex- it's exactly in the same same mold. Okay, so then there's this guy called Simon the Zealot, um, and he's interesting in that he is supposedly a zealot, but he actually might not have been. We don't know a lot about him. Like, if you want to go dig into scripture and read about Simon the Zealot, you don't find a lot. So, we often think of the zealots like, you remember, uh, is it Barabbas and the cross? You know, choose Jesus or Barabbas in the crowd. Oh, Barabbas. Those are the zealots. They believe that we are going to overcome the Romans, but we're going to do it through violence. We, we're going to go grab it. And so the Messiah is coming. He's coming to lead an army with swords and everything, and they're going to take down the Romans and hence the freedom of, of the Jews. So when you see Simon the Zealot, the, the easy assumption is to think, oh, yeah, he was a zealot. And then it would be cool for us to say, he got a zealot to come into the fold. He might very well have been, 
but there's really no hardcore evidence of the fact that he was that. It could have been that he was also zealous for the law, and it was a separation from Simon Peter and Simon the Zealot. So he was given a nickname there, which, which I love the idea that Jesus hooks up nicknames. Think about it. And that's, that's, that, that's also, we're going to talk about this, the sons of Zebedee in just a second. But the, the idea that their nicknames opens you up to human interaction. You, you can see that these people are being people. You know, I don't know about you, but the Bible's full of drama. <laughs> it's, 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 it's full of what? Who does that type thing? Or, uh, yeah, we did that type thing. And, and, and when you see it and you open your mind to it and you see how the word is interacted within the fabric of what's happening around you, that's what you start gleaning from. That's what you pick out from. And that's what then gives you life. That's what then gives you the ability to know I'm not weird for having the thought 